Welcome, everyone. This is all about Windows Phone Insight Podcast 177, recording this on Thursday, the 14th of April, 2016. I am Steve Litchfield, here sniffling with hay fever, but we're going to press on. I have with me Rafe Blanford. Hello, everybody. Yes, a big thank you to Steve for struggling on through his hay fever. And for all of you out there sort of tutting loudly, actually, summer has just begun in the UK. We've had our first couple of sunny days, and for those who suffer from those kind of allergies, it's just kicking in. But we're really here to talk about Windows 10 Mobile and mobile more generally rather than the uh, current affliction, Steve. So what are we starting out with this week? Well, I was going to do a slinky link from hay fever and summer into um, in Windows Phone, Windows 10 Mobile and smartphones because, of course, uh, I've been taking quite a few, um, well, I think, rather nice photographs of of the flora, fauna and flora with my Lumia 950 XL. And there's just a tease that there is an editorial coming basically saying, do you know, I'm really these devices are I'm warming to them the the bug fixes the revised applications the the new releases especially with Redstone and maybe we'll touch on that later on as well um, plus the fact that I've got a Mozo replacement back cover all of these factors they kind of build together along with the expectations that the the phones and the and the quote phablets that we're using we're, we're gradually getting used to larger and larger form factors doing more and more things with them that are media centric photocentric and i'm i'm really enjoying life with the 950xl at the moment and, it, and it's surprising me I, I everything within me says but steve you're a small form factor form factor man you love the 830 you love the the 930 um, eventually, <laughs> you love the 1020, which now seems posit- positively minuscule. The 950XL is really rather large, but I am absolutely enjoying it. And, and uh, yeah, there's an editorial on its way. I can't believe you're backtracking, Steve. Um, I, I still prefer yeah. the, the smaller form factor, but it is interesting that uh, obviously it's been a trend for a few years. Uh, but I'm seeing more people opt for a slightly bigger phone. I think there's been a kind of a slowdown in phones getting bigger. And actually, we saw that kind of current MWC and actually some of the flagship announcements, including actually the most recently the HTC uh, 10, of course, that the screens aren't getting bigger. And if anything, have just stepped back a little bit. You know, we've seen this same trend in the Windows 10 uh, mobile world. You know, we had something like the... I guess the 1520 and the 1320 were the epitome of that. And, you know, the 950XL just wound it back a bit. Uh, but what I will say is the balance, perhaps not surprisingly, because a lot of the flagship phones are these bigger screens, you know, more people seem to have those and buy those. There are still a, a significant vocal, and I don't know whether it's a minority or not, um, that seem to prefer the smaller screen size. You know, the iPhone SE, which got announced recently, good example of that. But I know exactly what you mean, Stu. It does feel like you know a lot of the things that people want to do with a phone now do lend themselves to having a slightly bigger screen size. Uh, part of me also feels that this is not the backlash against tablets, but um, because these screen sizes have increased, you know, I feel like I don't need a tablet as much as I used to. And indeed, I use the phone for more things that I might have once handed off to the tablet for, you know, particularly long browsing or watching videos or maybe... Uh, sharing or sharing some videos and photos with people that I've taken myself. And I found that quite interesting just in my, my personal behavior. And so, you know, I looked at the recently released, uh, tablets and you know, the 
iPads recently been updated, but there are plenty of others out there. Um, and I was sort of wondering whether to kind of update it because I, you know, I have a couple of old tablets around running I, iOS and Android. And of course, I have the Surface Pro 3, but that really does function as a laptop for me. And actually, it's a significantly heavier because it's got the various extra bits in it but it's a very powerful machine it's great as a a computer and i wondered if i wanted something in between and i didn't and it's it's interesting that you say you know the 950x has grown on you i wonder whether that's part of that wider trend to you know people wanting a bigger device i mean but presumably also the improved stability of the software is probably helping give you a, a kind of positive view on it i mean because obviously the 950 that applies too but do you think then you know that that whole windows 10 mobile experience with the 950 and the 950xl has improved not just because of redstone but a lot of the app updates as well and the updates in the main trees as well Absolutely. I did several editorials over the last week or so, and we'll link to a few of those in the show notes, basically pointing out something that's really kind of unique to Windows 10 Mobile and, in fact, Windows Phone before it, and the fact that the default for normal users, regular Joe blogs out there, is for everything to auto-update in the background. Uh, For iOS, I've got plenty of iPhones here, all my Android phones, all of these, you go to the App Store, the Play Store, respectively, and you just know, you go there, there's five updates waiting. And if you go onto your, say, your partner or your or your friend or colleague's iPhone or Android phone, and you go into the uh, App Store, there's 25 updates waiting. Because they just basically never bother going there and never bother doing tapping on update and update at all, irrespective of all the security implications. And I'm, I'm actually really impressed looking back that Windows Phone had this default from day one that the store would auto-update everything um, in the background without your having any user interaction whatsoever. And that has carried forward, of course, with desktop Windows 10 uh, and now with the Windows 10 mobile. So I, I think that's a rather undersung positive in, in this ecosystem that really deserves to be shouted about. It is. And uh, I mean, you said in your article, you made the point that the downside of this, of course, is that some people don't like changes happening. And I absolutely accept that. But let's face it, it's still an option that you can turn off. But I think so many people use it with the default settings that actually encouraging something that's going to lead to a more positive experience, especially when Microsoft has moved to this pattern of kind of regular stream of software updates, there'll be a lot of people uh, missing out. And it's something like a big OS update that you get notified by a notification on the phone. And we've seen that on Windows, you see it on Android and iOS as well. It's a bit different because I think people make an effort to install those or become kind of aware of those. But some of these kind of small app updates, and you're you're right, people do end up with 50 plus updates on that. I mean, actually, I'm guilty of this myself on (laughs) some of my other devices. And um, the, the reason I mention this actually is I was trying to use uh, Facebook Messenger to have a look at some of the new bots that have just been announced. And it wasn't until I sort of checked that actually I needed to update it before I could see that functionality. I realized I hadn't updated that particular app for quite some time. Now that was partly to do with uh, the fact I don't use Messenger all that much myself, you know, use WhatsApp amongst friends and family. Um, but that's actually kind of an interesting point. There could be other apps that I do use more regularly that I maybe haven't updated. Um, and to be honest, I've just left it on the default settings. I mean, I'm well aware that you can set it to automatic, but I hadn't done so. Would I have done so maybe if it was a, another device? Possibly. Um, and obviously, you know, Android, there are some people that change the, the default settings depending on the manufacturer you're on. But yeah, in general, I, I think you're right to say that Microsoft don't receive enough praise for this. And it's very easy to be critical and say, oh, you know, people should be able to control what they want. And I think you can still get that. And I'm sure, Steve, you probably set it to manual so you see what updates are coming in because you're kind of <laughs> curious. 
Yeah. Um, but as I said, this for me is simply about the user experience and it's better. And, and also, I think we should probably at this point say also credit to Microsoft for the sheer number of updates that come out. Now, maybe I kind of notice them more because we're writing about them. Um, and maybe, you know, if we're being cynical, it's because some of these apps are, are further behind their competition. But it's very noticeable that there's been app updates across a whole range of things onto the Windows 10 mobile platform and very significant level of improvements compared to, you know, what we had you know, in kind of the release version of the 950 and the 950 XL. As I say, I think that's maybe partly because the platform still had a lot of growing up and maturing to do. But, you know, you, as I say, you don't notice that because it is happening automatically all the time. And it's not until, you know, you look at one of the apps and go, oh, that, that's received a couple of updates. And I kind of hadn't noticed it because I was using it day to day. And Maps, I think, is one of the best examples of that. If you compare what that was like in the early Insider versions uh, to what it is now. I mean, are there any other apps that catch your attention, Steve, in, in that particular way? I mean, I know you probably track them very closely because uh, am I right in guessing you've got it on manual mode? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but that just purely for the reason that I'm writing for AWP and I need to spot when things get updated rather than just have to rely on other other site stories. I don't read other sites because that will be traitorous. Um, <laughs> but there, there are some major improvements, especially for this Redstone thing. And I, I read a whole editorial on Redstone because I'm if people who are enthusiastic about the platform, they're probably um, they're loyal, all about Windows Phone Insight listeners, and they probably want to be like us on on the bleeding edge, getting the earliest access to the latest um, ideas in terms of applications and the ecosystem and the interface. And there are some genuine improvements in Redstone. The maps you've just mentioned, the, the maps under Redstone is, is dramatically improved in terms of the UI. It's, it's very reminiscent of the, the, the here drive UI, which people praise Absolutely. a lot. Um, also, of course, camera camera is on Redstone um, was improved significantly ahead of the main threshold, the main uh, production Windows 10 mobile branch. Uh, and there are all sorts of little bit, bits bits here and there. Edge, of course, is improving quite a bit under Redstone, taking it away from the the, the production build on threshold again. So it's another area in which you'll see major improvements over the next month or so. So I, my my encouragement in the editorial, the reason for writing it was to say, look, there is an awful lot of updates going on. That's all good. But if you want to be like us, li living the Windows 10, um, one platform, one ecosystem dream, then get you, your phone needs to be on Redstone. It's not so unstable that I couldn't, you say, look, it's not going to be a showstopper. Uh, all my daily alarms and notifications, everything comes in just fine. I think Redstone's at the stage now where anyone could probably jump on it as their, their, their daily daily device without any trouble at all and certainly that's been backed up by some of the comments i, I one or two people out of 100 have said something doesn't work for them and they've gone back to this production windows 10 and a few back to 8.1 which is rather sad but uh, on the whole the majority i think are with me and they're, they're going ahead with redstone i i would just say there may be one exception to that and i i wonder and it's something i've observed myself is the battery life doesn't appear to be quite so good on redstone that's not unusual for kind of an early or a beta release of, of software because I guess it hasn't been fully optimized or there may be some road code that's kind of using up lots of power um, and it may be one particular app or the other. I don't know if that's something you've noticed and that will largely depend on kind of the snark or you, you use your phone. And if you're away yeah. from charging all day, it might be a good idea to uh, avoid that. Um, you know, if you're working in an office and you can top up on charge regularly, it's probably not such a, a, a big deal. Um, so I, I'm perhaps just a little more cautious than you on whether uh, kind of Redstone is okay to, to put onto your phone. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you're kind of a, a fan of 
uh, Mo, but you, you you probably already experimented with this kind of stuff on other platforms. So it's something to be aware of. Um, yeah. Is there anything else? I mean, there are a few bugs. I think a few have mentioned actually in the comment thread of the the article, and you know, people talking about there being uh, crashes or problems with individual applications. It's it's hard to see or say that there's any one universal thing because actually people are reporting all kinds of um, uh, different things. And actually, sometimes I think it's because they haven't updated all the various bits of uh, application and software. Because of course, one problem with this kind of continuous update and this uh, chunk to part thing, you know, when you're getting different apps, if you don't have it on automatic, or even if you do have it on automatic, bits may sort of get out of sync. And probably yeah. the majority of the testing happens on devices where it's the most recent build and all the most recent versions of the app. And if you happen to be running a slightly older version of the app, it wouldn't surprise me if bugs uh, sometimes sometimes appear. So uh, probably just to throw a little bit of caution into the Steve, everyone installed Redstone right now uh, message. <laughs> I, I just want to say um, I've certainly noticed battery life. And so I would sort of be slightly hesitant to rely on it on my, uh, as my only, um, only device when out and about daily. I mean, I have installed it and, you know, I've got the choice of having multiple devices with me. So it's not, not a big deal for me. But, um, you know, given that the uh, 950XL is actually pretty good on battery life most of the time or, or has been in the most recent kind of threshold builds, it, it kind of reminds me of the early days of the Insider program, actually, where battery life sort of got disappointing. So probably depends very much on how you use your phone. I mean, if you're already someone who's running up against the edges of battery life in your day-to-day use, uh, Redstone is definitely not going to improve things there. Yeah, it also really depends exactly how you manage to upgrade to Redstone. In other words, <laughs> I, as with any major major operating operating system upgrade on any device, on any platform, in any sphere, it, there's always the possibility that you might just have to hard reset it and rebuild stuff because all sorts of stuff does get carried forward. Now, Windows Phone and Windows 10 Mobile it tends to be better than most because a few people know when they upgrade a, a Windows Phone. Um, you get the little the, the getting your device ready and migrate migrating is one of the steps and basically all sorts of things get uh, uh, copied over to to a new a new partition if you like a new section of storage and then applications reinstalled into that storage and there's all sorts of fancy things going on that mean that the system bits the low level stuff the settings files the ini files if you like using old old time parlance they don't actually get brought forward so that it, things should work when you upgrade from one OS to another but as we've all found things do go wrong sometimes and i just wanted to say in terms of battery life that uh, if by redstone's got awful battery if you mean it, it you're out of power in two hours then there's something catastrophically oh, wrong absolutely. and you should hard reset and and and, re- and restore from your last backup your last backup your applications your settings and your your data um and hopefully that will fix it if your battery life is just okay as in you you know you're out of power by about 6 7 p.m and then that's probably quite normal. Windows 10's mobile has never been incredibly efficient on battery life. And as Rafe said, just top up during the day if you know you're going out for the evening. Um, I found on the, the Neon 950XL that battery life has actually been pretty great. I, I've got through to bedtime and I I haven't I even need to put the phone on the Qi charger during the day most days. And now admittedly, the 950XL has got a monster battery, so that does have something to do with it. But it's also got a large screen and a fast processor, so... Uh, but I, I would say yes. If you've got terrible, terrible battery life, then do think about doing a rebuild. I think it will pay dividends in the long run. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there are a few other things that have been reported, like uh, inability to connect to certain accessories or 
problems with Bluetooth systems in cars. And so there is still a bit of a pinch of salt here. But yeah, I should have made it clear there. The battery life thing I'm talking about here is when you're kind of pushing it and you've been out all day, it just feels like it's five to 10% worse. Now, I haven't done any yeah, yeah. you know really accurate studies, but I suspect that's probably about the sort of figure we're talking about. And so, as you say, for most people, it will get to the end of the working day without too much of a problem. Um, and I like used to, you know, I do tend to keep the phone topped up on a wireless charger. And so it's pretty unusual for me to to run out of battery altogether. Of course, the other way around, this is, you know, just have a you know USB battery charger in your bag. You know, you can get them for, you know, just a few a few pounds now although it's probably a good idea to spend a, a bit more if you read any of uh, steve's review on these you do kind of get get what you pay for um and that's a great way to actually top up the battery and that will certainly enable you to get through a day if not you know two days um depending on what model you end up with and um, that's actually the solution i go for simply because I've, I've got a bag with me work bag most of the time and it's pretty trivial to top it up if i need to do so and the click you heard there in the background was me taking the back off my 950XL and my 950 to show, oh, it's got a replaceable battery, which gives you yet another option. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, you can, unusually in the modern age, you can actually put a new battery in. Although I do notice, Rafe, that the replacement batteries, the 950 and 950XL, as with the 640 and 640XL, and as with the 830 before it, they're all relatively rare. And in this, if you go onto eBay or Amazon or heaven forbid your local high street shop and you want an, an, a new replacement battery for an iPhone, and that's supposed to be a seal device or certainly if you want a replacement battery for a samsung galaxy s4 galaxy s5 whatever they're they're plentiful there are loads of fakes and clones out there and they start at about three pounds which is ridiculous and and the reason they're ridiculous is that they're fakes but uh they're they're, they're there there is a presence if you want to look for batteries for any of the lumias i just mentioned you're looking at about 17 to 30 pounds something in that region in uk money which is relatively relatively quite a lot it's enough that you stop and think before you buy a second battery but it does on the other hand means you get a completely puckered bona fide battery that's guaranteed of be high quality so the option is there but they are still expensive which is a tiny bit disappointing but they are and especially if you're going to spend that kind of money actually getting a one of these usb battery chargers which will often have a, a bigger capacity and obviously can be used to recharge other devices well you yeah. suddenly become the most popular person in the party when a, a battery <laughs> charger comes from out of your bag and uh, actually i've got a couple that have multiple ports in for that exact reason it's amazing how fast uh, a couple of phones can empty one of those batteries uh, at, at, on a good evening out with friends yeah, well, now we know what you get up to at the parties you go to. Uh, when I get to parties, I take photographs of people dancing with my Zenon Flash, and, well, and you're there you charging phones. Yeah. yeah, well, because I don't have a Zenon Flash uh, on, on my phone, Stephen, don't consider it important. I guess all my uh, party pictures are, are blurry, or maybe that's just the dancing. Anyway, if anyone would like to invite Rafe and myself to a party in the south, south of England, then you're very welcome, and we'll get together, we'll have a few beers, and we'll try out all our different technological party tricks. Anyway, uh, moving on, I did a story in, in, in answer to a reader question, really, on the site. He raised a very good question. He said, hang on a minute, Steve. Microsoft has deemed the Lumia 920 et al., that's 95, 1020, so on, these, the Snapdragon S4 Plus-based devices from about two to three years ago, has deemed them not worthy after much feedback, we to cover this last week in the podcast, of the official Windows 10 mobile uh uh, upgrade. So they, if you go to an upgrade advisor and install that, it won't show there, basically. Um, but the Lumia 435, which is a you know bargain bargain basement bottom of the line the lumia the 435 costing about i think about 50 60 pounds is considered worthy and i was i was challenged to do some investigative journalism so i did it so 
I, I, I got that. In fact, I put it together with the Lumia 950 and the 640 as well, just to give some context. Um, and basically timing real-world um, operations, opening applications up and so forth. So, for example, opening up Skype is a company, common people think they do. They boot their phone up and they oh, I'll, I'll, I'll send a Skype message. And, of course, Skype, people may know, it takes rather a long time to start up on Windows. It's, it's timed at seven seconds on the Lumia 950, for goodness sake. Uh, and it was eight seconds on the 920 and nine on the 435. And that kind of, that pattern kind of went across the board, really. The 950 was obviously the fastest, but not always by a huge margin. But the really interesting thing was that the overall, the 920 uh, was slightly faster than the 435, despite not being deemed worthy of Windows 10 mobile upgrade. So uh, my theory, and if you read it, there's about a thousand words of text following the chart if people follow the, <laughs> the story. But my theory is that because... Hardly anyone in our circle, certainly listening to this podcast, and anyone who's enthusiastic enough about the platform to own a Lumia 435, hardly any of the 435 owners um, will actually have gone on to the Insider program and given any feedback. So basically, Microsoft had almost nothing to go on. The Lumia 920, 925, and 1020 had an insane number of people, I would guess in the millions, literally millions of 920, 925, and 1020 owners tried out Windows 10 Mobile on the Insider's program. And let's say... 10% 10% of those did actually answer the question when Microsoft says that it'll pop up at the top of the screen. How satisfied are you with this operating system? Would you recommend it to a friend or colleague? And I think they ask you that after every single build. There's a, that's 100,000 people on that 10% um, ratio at being asked multiple times. So they've got half a million pieces of data about how satisfied people were just from those three devices run on the S4 Plus processors. And I would... Re- I would wager that more than half of that was probably negative in some form for people saying, well, you know, it's it's okay, there are pros, but as I pointed out in my regular 1020 editorials, things do lag sometimes, some things are slower than expected, this needs to be improved, it's not quite good enough. I couldn't recommend this to a normal, regular user. You have to be an enthusiast to stick with it. Uh, so Microsoft, quite well, quite rightly, I'd argue, then took that feedback on board, said, okay, we don't deem the 920, 95, 1020, etc. worthy of the official upgrade, so we won't actually you know, offer it. But the Lumia 435, we've done lots of testing in-house, and we reckon the 435 runs Windows 10 Mobile just fine, so we're going to make that uh, acceptable. And uh, kind of backing that up is the fact that the 435, as I said, does have a slightly more modern chipset in terms of the Snapdragon 200 family. But uh, I've added a PS to my editorial. Uh, it's actually hosted over on Reddit, where I think it's someone actually works at Microsoft, or certainly works within the hardware division. He absolutely knows what he's talking about. Points out that because of the lower screen resolution, and there's something I did mention in my editorial, the the lower far lower of number number of pixels on the Lumia four three five, um, the the GPU power relatively speaking it's it's is much more powerful it can cope with far more uh, faster screen refreshes and far more happening on screen in terms of a fancy interface and that's the one thing Windows ten mobile does is it brings in a fancier fine fonted more beautiful interface when I put it that way things aren't so chunky and in your face as they were in Windows Phone so. The theory, summing all that up, is that, yes, the 920 is slightly faster for most operations than the Lumia 435, but the 920 was an ex-flagship. You'd expect it to be really fast. You'd expect it to be really fluid, and that's why it attracts some criticism. The 435 is was pretty slow under Windows Phone 8. You don't really expect much. So when it then then doesn't behave incredibly fast under Windows 10 Mobile, you're not altogether surprised. But I think I'm behind Microsoft, and I hope the editorial goes some way to explaining why I'm behind Microsoft. But I would encourage people to read all over my arguments and also read that PS because it's jolly interesting. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is a, a fascinating topic. And of course, it's not without contrary 
basically because you can take a different view and argue a case around this. But I think uh, your editorial here see, does give a, a kind of clear indication. I mean, for me, the, kind of the explanation is relatively simple in that it's really about what hardware is most recent and therefore is a little bit more up to date and also around the optimization that has to be done. As you said, that Reddit comment does give a, a, a sort of more detailed explanation, but actually what it also suggests is actually the limiting factor on these Windows 10 mobile devices is really the, the GPU that's built into the phone. And just to be clear here, there's the kind of the main processor, which is the one that generally gets named in the, the specs, but be that the Snapdragon 800, the 820, the 200, whatever it happens to be. Each of those then has a, a graphics coprocessor. That's generally the Adreno or something else, and there are various variations on that as well. And actually, some of the uh, small variants in the Snapdragon uh, naming system actually come down to what uh, graphics coprocessor it has. But um, sort of a long-winded way of saying, actually, it's that coprocessor that seems to matter in terms of this uh, Windows yeah. 10 mobile upgrade, not so much the main processor, which, if you think about it, actually makes sense because, uh, as you rightly described, that's kind of some of the new thing, if you like, in, in Windows 10 mobile where there's maybe a, a few more constraints involved. And um, if you go and read that comment, it's actually talking about how actually the 435 effectively outperforms a couple of times the 920 in terms of the graphics power and obviously the 950 does even better and it's a combination of that graphics power and the screen that it's got to deal with and obviously with something like the 435 it's easier than on something like the 950 um, but what's also notable is you know just leaving all of that aside actually then there are relatively small differences in the performance even between something like the 435 and the, the 950, you know, um, your total seconds, I believe, on the 950 comes to 76 seconds versus 123 seconds for the 435. Now, I appreciate that is almost a, a factor of two different. But if you uh, look at the actual uh, you know, process involved, ostensibly yeah. that's a Snapdragon 200, 1.2 gigahertz uh, dual core versus this uh, Snapdragon 808 up to 1.82 gigahertz hexacore. You know, so it's blowing out the water. But that's actually just showing you that it's probably the, the, the GPU is you know, a couple of times more powerful. And actually, it's actually more than that because of the screen resolution difference. But even so, that's kind of a, a really interesting debate. And I, I think this one is going to continue to run because it's quite clear there's a lot of people, particularly, I think, I think uh, 1020 users who have always been amongst the most passionate Windows phone users, but also some of the older flagship users as well, who quite clearly would like to get the update. And I mean, as we've said before at the moment, it's still available to you, um, but it's not going to be officially supported. Um, but, you know, I thought this editorial actually did a really good job of sort of clearing up and putting some numbers behind it rather than it just being a kind of a back and forth discussion. They should, they shouldn't. I think it's okay, therefore I want it. Um, uh, and this does at least offer some sort of clues to kind of some of the behind the scenes decision making. Uh, but as you said, you know, also, I, I think that user feedback is all important. The, you know, is yeah. this a good experience? And you're absolutely right to identify that a 920 user will have different expectations to a 435 user, merely because of the amount they spent on the phone and kind of your perception of what is acceptable on those two devices is going to be different. Yeah, even though the 920 is now over three years old, it's amazing how time flies. But you think, okay, this, this is a flagship. Yes, it's a three-year-old flagship. Three years is an eternity in the mobile industry. Absolutely. And um, we should just say, of course, Rafe just said, just to emphasise that point, that you can still, um, and and you can for the next couple of months, still upgrade your 920s, your 925s, your 1020s to the very latest Windows 10 mobile um, insiders uh, build 218. So this is the threshold branch, 10586. 
build two and eight was launched a couple of days ago and judging from all the comments on the on the news story in it Rafe, an awful lot of people are finding an awful lot of good things to say even people with 1020s have previously found problems have said do you know this build two and eight seems to have just snap, made it snappier so i'm still loath after all my flip-flopping to take my 1020 back onto windows <laughs> 10 but i do have the 220 so i'm going to take my backup 1020 and put that up and then i can try it for myself but it, it we must absolutely emphasize that Microsoft said, although these devices may not be officially approved, Windows 10 Mobile, we're not going to push it to regular Joes. All of you enthusiasts out there, knock yourselves out, install the Windows Insider, and you could be bang up to date. And who knows, maybe even this device, these devices may one day get provisioned for Redstone via the Insider's program. We, miracles might happen, Rafe. We may have a 1020 on Redstone in six months' time. I doubt it, but if anything's possible. It's yeah. software. <laughs> I, I doubt it too. And actually, in some ways, I think... The issue for me is less around the the software update, which you know, let's let's be clear, there's lots to really like about it. But you know, um, on on Windows Phone 8.1, you've still got a very capable device. But I think this was mentioned a couple of times in the comment thread. As we move forward, there will be more apps that are kind of Windows 10 mobile only and don't support Windows Phone 8.1, and that's partly because of the rise of universal Windows apps, but also you know other APIs as they come in and. It may be that the app situation for those older devices you know, gets poorer. It, it's difficult to know how much of an impact that will have. And, you know, the, the more cynical will say there's hardly any apps anyway. But actually, we're seeing new ones come out all the time. And uh, BT Sport was another example this week um, here in the UK. So uh, I'm just somewhat saying that I think people who are complaining they haven't got the latest device, it's, oh, rather the latest version on the older devices, um, are justified in being somewhat worried. But as you say, you know, maybe think about this insider version. And and frankly, for devices like the 920 that are, you know, getting on for three years old, I'm actually sympathetic to the point of view that, you know, how long can you expect to get those updates? Ideal world, absolutely yes, but there there is a balance here. And um certainly I would tend to say, you know, in the in the smartphone world, there is not an unreasonable expectation that you might be looking yeah. to upgrade every three years or so. I don't like saying it because it does feel like it's a sort of disposable smartphone culture, but actually things are moving so quickly that, you know, it's by the same token, if you're using an S4 or something like that, or one of the older iPhone devices, you know, you will notice things and you'll have a poorer user experience. And so yeah. it, it, it's a, it's a delicate discussion because I know a lot of people feel very strongly that the phone should last, you know, four or five years um, and in some cases, it's absolutely possible to do that. But if you expect to kind of have the latest benefits, I think it's a slightly unrealistic attitude at this point in time. Yeah, I was going to say, after all, they're not toasters. But then I remembered that toasters do not, don't last very long, at least in our family. We go through a toaster every two years, which is more often than we buy a new phone. So that rather <laughs> foils my point. Um, just moving on briefly, there's a couple of things, news stories um, I, I wanted to just to cover briefly. We'll put links in the show notes. Um, just We've been trying to get round to continue and doing spending more time with it and talking about it more for a few weeks now. But just to say that the universal remote desktop from Microsoft, that application, um, that is now available for Continuum. And in theory, Rafe, I mean, neither of us, well, you work in a corporate environment to an extent. I don't work, I work entirely standalone. But for people who are business users to have a working universal Windows application for this universal remote, this Microsoft remote desktop means they, they genuinely can now use Continuum to get into their company's intranet and do company applications all from their phone just by hooking up to a wireless or, or wired display dock display. So 
this remote desktop is a really important application. And I kind of think of it as a looking ahead to where the the HP Elite X3 is coming in a few months' time with it, when it's got a, a, a even more of an emphasis on accessing business applications. But uh, did you ever play with remote desktop? Uh, I, I have done, and actually, you mentioned the HP Elite X3, and actually, one of the apps they showed off was called Workspaces, which was basically this exact kind of remote access. And what's interesting yeah. about it is it effectively allows you to have multiple windows open at the same time and kind of cascaded across the screen which of course continue and doesn't it's kind of a single mode interface and we've also talked about the fact it doesn't save the state between sessions and i know that's something that's irritated you but of course when you're using remote desktop it absolutely does now of course the downside of you know being remote is there can be some performance issues so it depends on the speed of the connection um but uh, you know it does enable you to do that and of course you know you can do this from other devices as well but the point about using it through Continuum, it's kind of set up to work on that bigger screen and to have the good keyboard and the mouse support, which some of those other remote solutions don't do quite so well, I would argue. And so I've tried this out because I just want to see how it worked. And yes, it's very effective. Um, I actually tend to use an app called TeamViewer to do uh, most of my remote stuff. Um, but it's nice to have this as a, a, a as another option, and I do think it really strengthens kind of continuum because I think it, you know it is an enterprise feature. I mean, I think power users might choose to take advantage of it as well, and it you know people who are getting this in a work environment are generally going to be in a, a heavy kind of Microsoft environment where it's absolutely likely that. Uh, you know, re- remote desktop is a tool that's already in use, and to be able to do that from your phone completely seamlessly—it's you know—it's a really great thing to have. Yeah, and uh, wrapping the podcast with a, a topic that we started with, with in terms of imaging and photography is that I did another of my photo shootouts with your comparator, Rafe. Lumia 950 against the iPhone SE, which is the brand new iPhone, kind of looking back to the uh, the smaller form factor of older iPhones, but of course it's the very latest camera that's also featured in the 6S, which is why and I I never actually got around to doing a head-to-head between the 950 and the 6S because I had the S, iPhone 6S and 6S Plus in for review, and then they had to go back, and then a month later, the 950 and 950 XL arrived, so I, I never actually got a chance to pitch the two head-to-head uh, absolute same conditions, same subject. So for the first time, I thought, well, let's go for it. So iPhone SE and Lumia 950, the same sort of range of my typical range of light conditions. The 951, that's probably not a surprise, but the SE wasn't that far behind. And it really just emphasizes yet again that although the ex Nokia engineers at Microsoft are still working wonders and doing producing fabulous imaging smartphones, the whole standard of imaging across the industry has risen tr- tremendously, I think, over the last two or three years. Yes, Nokia were uh, five years ahead of the game with you know PureView and the Nokia 808, I, w- I would I would estimate, but uh, the rest of the industry has taken notice of Nokia's leader in imaging ever since the N95, really, and N93, uh, and have been catching up. And I think the SC basically produces shots that 99% of the time you would find almost indistinguishable from the 950s. Um, the, the imaging purists like me will say, look, I want the absolute best you can possibly have. I want triple LED flash, and I want OIS as well as digital stabilization, and I want an, an even larger aperture, and et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. But... These these are recent iPhone cameras. I've always been a fan of Apple's algorithms, and the, I think the SE did very well indeed. Yeah, and, and yes, as as I think I said, a bit like a repeating record on all of these comparators. It's amazing <laughs> how far it's come, and they're both good enough. And I think a point that's worth making is typically when you're doing these comparators, you are choosing scenarios that put it right to the edge, and so you can see some difference. And that's actually how you pick out in the scoring that something yeah. like the 950 has won 
um, it's probably worth pointing out that 99% of the photos that people take won't necessarily, you know, come across these scenarios. And as you say, there's very little to choose between them. And, you know, there is definitely a subjective element to this. I mean, the, uh, I think the Galaxy S7 has rightly been praised as having a very, very strong camera. Uh, the G5 is pretty good as well. Obviously the iPhone uh, 6S and the, the 6S Plus and, you know, the early look at the HTC One indicates that, you know, they've stepped up in this department as well, which is uh, very impressive given the, the track record here. And, you know, I would put the 950XL up against all of those. I think it probably is discounted in some of the comparisons or the more general comparisons I've seen because people aren't so familiar with it. And because most of the tests do tend to use these more common scenarios, which might be a fair way of doing it, because as I said, it does account for kind of the 99% of pictures that are being taken. Um, And actually, for me, it's now got to the point where I wouldn't choose a smartphone based on the camera, which for someone who was always, you know, yeah. It was an important factor, and actually, it's probably been far more true for Steve as an important factor. And, you know, actually, I used the 830 for a while, um, and still do have it as a device because actually, I consider that good enough for day to day. And I would maybe get another device out if I knew I was going to be doing something I wanted really good, high quality images for. Um, but it's also interesting that obviously the iPhone SE is is the cheap iPhone. It's in, in one sense. And it's the first device, I think, to really qualify for that distinction. And yet it's got, you know, as you say, a top of the line camera on it, you know, matching from the other, other devices as well. And so, you know, in one sense, I'm sort of warming up to go, we don't need to do these comparisons anymore because everyone's really good at it. But what did surprise me is, you know, when you do push it to these edge conditions, actually those differences do still emerge, which is, I think speaks to the kind of the purity of Nokia and what's now become the Microsoft imaging teams in terms of, you know, they really thought about some of those scenarios, which are a bit more unusual. And low light is, I think, an area where it does still appear that Microsoft has uh, an advantage. And also it's just, you know, the slightly more neutral processing or less aggressive. And that's something that actually I think Microsoft has, has stepped back a bit from recent years, but it still seems to do it less so than others. And and Samsung, in some ways, used to be the worst at doing too much processing. It's definitely stepped back the other way, and everyone seems to have come into the middle. But would you say there's still a bit of a spectrum there? And I think uh, Microsoft and its engineers are still tending to favour uh, less processing where they can get away with it. Yes and no, really. I, I, the purist in me says that there's even Microsoft and Yuha and his team, they're still doing they're still doing sharpening, they're still doing noise reduction, and I'd still rather see purely natural images. In fact, on the 950 and 950XL, because it's got the oversampling, there is there is basically no noise to get rid of, and it doesn't need that much sharpening, so you don't really notice it very much, but I have noticed it on some of the other lesser Lumia cameras with a Windows 10 camera. Um, it's, it's things The things are better than they were when I criticised the Samsung Galaxy S7 Edge when I pitched it against 950, I said the Samsung... Uh, algorithms were appalling and <laughs> dutifully two weeks later samsung pushed out a firmware update and basically imp- with a specific line saying improve the um improve the sharp reduce the sharpening in the ca- camera algorithms so i think that these manufacturers are listening and one bit by bit all the different smartphone cameras are converging to a degree yes and as you say 99 percent of people will go out they'll take photographs they couldn't tell the difference between the images from any one camera to any other but i notice and it seems like a lot of our, our readers are keen to, to notice as well. So that's yeah. why we did the articles. Yeah, and we, and we should notice these things because actually, of course, this does have an impact in, I would say, um, certainly 
obviously on these edge scenarios, but also it's the ability to take a photo without it going wrong in some, kind of some of the more normal scenarios. And so if you're good in the edge cases, you'll be more forgiving everywhere yeah. else as well. And so what that means is typically uh, you take, I don't know, 100 shots on the Lumia devices, 98 of them will come out well. And it might only be 97 or 96 on some of its competing devices. There'll be that one shot that didn't quite work. But if that's the one that you really wanted, it, it does make a difference. But uh, yeah, just to stress what you said, you know, there is this convergence towards the middle. And for me personally, there's now much less of a reason to choose a phone because of the camera. In fact, actually, that's true of hardware more generally. It's kind of hard to pick out things. And so does the software become more important, certainly the design and materials of the phone? Um, you know, actually, all of the recent devices have been, in some senses, I think, not not boring, but quite conservative in some of their choices. You know, we've actually seen metallic come back in as a material, having had a lot of manufacturers uh, experiment with plastic. And it kind of feels to me like there's room for a little bit more innovation or experimentation there. There were certainly, you know, plenty of other materials out there. And, it, you know, this is actually just a general comment about smartphones. It, it feels like... Um, you know, compared to what we did have, there's just been a little less, people have been less adventurous in the design and the materials and, and the hardware is sort of all coming together. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's using the same components. That said, of course, you know, we see this in cameras in particular, you know, a lot of these phones are using the same sensors at their core and certainly some of the same elements in the imaging stack, but you get radically different results, you know, in some scenarios, uh, just because of the way it's all put together. And a lot of that is down, of course, to the software processing, the choices that they make in the configuration of these cameras. Um, but I've I kind of gone against my point that they're converging all together, <laughs> but, but, uh, which, which they are, but there are still differences between them. Yeah. And a lot of that, uh, as I say, is in the choices that are made in the processing, in particular, the weighting given to, given to different elements. Um, but if you look back at the pictures that are being produced, I mean, they are, you know, outstanding. Um, yeah. Room for improvement? Yes, of course there is. There, there always is. But, um, you know, these camera phones now are easily as good as the kind of the typical Happy Snap standalone cameras that cost, you know, 150 to 200 pounds. Um, and there's a reason for that because actually a lot of these uh, camera phones are using the sensors from those uh, standalone type devices. And of course, the technology has moved on in the last uh, five to 10 years compared, you know, whenever, well, a lot of people had a standalone digital camera, actually that technology has shrunk down and is now in the, the smartphones and has been improved in the main meantime, as, as always happens with technology. And so I, for one, am very comfortable always using a smartphone now as kind of my main main device. Some exceptions will still carry a DSR, you know, on, on special occasions, but it's more hassle than it's worth. And of course, the impact of that is everyone's producing loads more photos as well. And you're having to work out how to store them and back them up and keep them safely. And then are you going to print them out or get them up on the wall somewhere or however else you're going to share them? And there's a reason there's, you know, billions of photos being uploaded to Facebook and all the other social services and because they've got so much better and it is, you know, the ideal way to share a memory. Yeah, and you mentioned there the differentiating factor was really the the image processing and the, the 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 software smarts, if you like. And I wasn't going to mention it, Rafe, but as you brought the subject up, I did do a flow chart on an, uh, in an editorial site. Yeah, <laughs> I know you like my charts. I do, I do. Um, <laughs> so with me, myself, and Indrek Harv, who's one of our regular listeners and readers, we kind of brainstormed what the the, the workflow of Rich Capture, which is really quite impressive. I mean, I know they've renamed it to Rich HDR, but it's still basically the same system. And it's the idea that the software act, 
capture time, make some very split-second intelligent decisions about which exposures to take, in what order to take them, how to combine them. And yes, it's a bit of a pain when you want to go straight back to a shot you've just taken and you see adding finishing touches, dot, 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 and you have to wait about five seconds. But the result at that end of those five seconds is nearly always much better than you'd expected. So I think it's worth going to the chart. I I wouldn't can't put my hand on my heart and say it's exactly the same as Microsoft's internal chart. I'm sure we've made a few boo-boos, but it's pretty darn close. And uh, I, yeah, I would recommend people go off and study that. And they'll be impressed, if nothing else, that, um, that you hire and his team at Microsoft are doing some clever things in terms of processing. Yeah, and actually, I think what it really brings out, and whether it's complete or not, um, it doesn't really matter, is actually there's a lot of complex decisions. And actually, it's kind of this tree that it goes down to work out what exactly it's going to do and it's doing it so quickly you know you're not thinking about it's happening in in real time and that's what i mean by the camera being very forgiving it makes those decisions for you because although um, these settings exist on pretty much all the modern camera phones you know they all have some kind of pro setting now that lets you fiddle with this of course most people want to use it on fully automatic um, and what they're doing the reason i think this is interesting it's kind of the real-time computational photography is making those decisions for you in a fully automatic mode so that you get a, a better picture. And in some cases, you can then go back and, and tweak it afterwards if that's what you want to do. And that, to me, is the sensible approach. And that's, you know, what maybe puts it a little bit ahead. Now, you know, some of the other manufacturers are doing very similar things. Um, and, you know, it's hard to pick out one and saying it's better than the rest. Um, and also, you know, they're adding things like the living photos and a little bit of video capture, you know, when the shutter button goes. And all of that's really interesting to me because it now gets to the point where these uh, cameras are better than the standalone cameras because they're able to start taking advantage of the fact they are running on a device. It's got quite a lot of computational power, a lot of processing power to them, the images. Whereas before, you know, it was all tuned around that that imaging capture and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, by all means, go and have a look at the article. If anyone's got any feedback, let us know in the comments, or I'm sure Steve will be happy to uh, get an email pointing out where you think something else is going on. But, you know, just the, the, the basic thing here is actually there's, you know, essentially six scenarios you can get to when you're just using it in fully automatic mode and the camera makes that decision for you. And the, the end result is you get a better photo than if it was just in the sort of basic fully automatic mode, if you will. Yeah, I was cruising for a bruising there. Really. I was saying I was nearing the end of the podcast and I introduced an, an imaging topic <laughs> and then Rafe and I nattered then for another 10 minutes. But there we go. I think that normally happens when we get onto a subject we're passionate about. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, <laughs> uh, we're out of time, so I will say say my goodbyes. Hopefully we're back one day next week. We're not entirely sure which day yet. Uh, I think both my and Rafe's schedules do tend to uh, to loll around somewhat. But uh, we'll be back very shortly in the next Insight podcast. But from, bye for now from me. Yeah, it's a goodbye from me as well. Thanks as ever for listening and please tune in next time.